are living in an age of migration. Never before have so many people been on the move. In 2015, 1,005,504 migrants entered Europe. The access point for most is through Greece, with its 16,000 kilometers of coastline. Its proximity to Turkey, which is just kilometers from multiple Greek islands, make it a popular route of travel. But on their journey, something quite unexpected has occurred. Religious conversions and revival have broken out, especially amongst Muslims fleeing their war-torn countries. So join us as we meet the people who feed and clothe some of the most marginalized people in the world. Gather with the chosen outcasts as they come out of darkness and into light. Witness the miraculous. See the love of Christians toward people who were told Christians would hate them. Watch churches spring into action. Entertaining strangers, showing hospitality, learning to reject hatred and fear. This is the story of God, gathering people and nations to himself in a crisis. Good morning. Welcome to Wawasee Bible today. Welcome to you online. My name is Pastor Dave Winters. I'm the equipping pastor. Pastor Josh did a boat in this morning on Wawasee. So I heard that went really good. About a thousand people there. So that was great. So that's a plug for a movie. You can find it on Amazon Prime. It's called Jesus in Athens. It's uh, written by Training Leaders International. I got to go with them in, in 2014. So I'm starting off today by saying the gospel of Jesus Christ breaks down, saves, changes lives anytime, anywhere, anyone, any place, circumstances, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that is, that is the message that it is Christ, the living Christ who did rise again from the dead, who can change anyone, anytime, anywhere. And so there's that Muslim Christian thing. And so Jesus in Athens, you will hear story after story of Muslims who are coming from Afghanistan, Iran, and, and all parts of the world. And they're passing through Athens, Greece, which would be the equivalent of maybe El Paso or the San Diego-Tijuana border between Mexico and the United States as an entry point. There are people from all over the world there. I met when I was there uh, people from Africa, from the, from the country of Ghana, Eastern Europeans from Romania, and Iran, I, I, Iranian Christians who are just amazing. And so that's an hour and a half of inspiration. If you watch the movie, Jesus in Athens, it's story after story of Christ doing just amazing things. Watch it yourself, watch it as a family, watch it as a life group. One of the opening stories, if you can bring up that map of, um, it's a second slide of between Greece and Turkey. And so a lot of times they'll, they'll come somewhere along the coast and then they'll just get in these boats either by themselves and they'll cross in the night trying to avoid the navies and just get somewhere, somewhere here to Greece. And so there's a story of several Afghan families and they're a boat and they're, they're crossing at night and they're kind of falling asleep 
The little girl falls over the side into the, into, the, into the dark water and her splash wakes everyone up. And of course, they're all leaning over the one side of the boat where they heard the splash and, and like screaming and crying out, thinking she's lost. And one of them turns around and the little girl sitting in the empty part of the lifeboat all by herself said, what happened? And she said, I was sinking and, and a man in white came walking on the water and picked me up and put me back in the boat. And unbeknownst to them, there, there are several missionaries who will just, uh, they'll, they'll just come out at night along the coast somewhere of Greece and a missionary came out by himself and he lit a big bonfire to attract any, any migrants who would be arriving that night just to greet them. He said, I'm just going to read from the story of Jesus walking on water. That's what I'm going to do just for any, any migrants who, who happen to show up from a Muslim country. I'll warm them up, give them some stuff, and I'm going to read them the story. And so this group of migrants, they make it to shore, and they, they see the fire, and they go, and they're standing beside it. They come into the fire, and he starts reading them from, from the Gospel of Matthew about Jesus walking on water. And they stop and say, stop, we just saw him. He, was just, he just saved this girl right here. And they said, how do we know Jesus? How can we? And they, they came to Christ. And so many Muslims are encountering Christ. They're, they're finding the love of Christ. And so I recommend Jesus in Athens. It's on Amazon Prime. Jesus uh, saves lives anytime, anywhere. Just recently read the, the most recent edition of uh, The Voice of the Martyrs magazine, June 2020. Each month, it'll have a certain theme, North Korea, China, someplace where Christianity is being persecuted. Uh, this month was on Colombia, South America. So the, the, the list of the articles here are guerrilla evangelists. Number two, outreach in rebel territory. Number three, pastoring among paramilitary spies. And lastly, uh, drug revolutionary member turns to becoming... Bible distributor. It's all talking about the various parts of the nation of Colombia. Part of it's ruled by the government. Part of it's ruled by drug lords. Part of it's ruled by uh, Marxist guerrillas and about Christian missionaries. Even one couple who's got just a young kid and thinking, um, should we even be here? Drug warlord shows up at their home and says, you need to get out of here and stop talking about Jesus. And said, well... We just feel like God wants us to stay. The drug lord comes back and says, I'll, I'll pay you three times as much to, to leave. Leave now. No, we just feel like we, we need to stay here. And that drug lord, unfortunately, gets killed after a couple, couple months. And, and, uh, but it's just about story after story of the gospel. No, we're staying here because people are turning to Christ and even turning away from the drugs or the communism and turning to Jesus and, and working for the cause of Christ. The gospel anytime, anywhere, even in the darkest places in our country. I grew up in a, in a very white community and nice schools and our, our view of, of people of color was often that they, they were kind of lazy and hey, they had the same opportunities as we had and, and oh, the government just, uh, they're dependent on the government. And then I felt like God called me to do some inner city mission. And I, I lived in inner city Philadelphia 
in some welfare projects, uh, doing some Christian ministry. This would be one of the typical, um, Josh was able to try to make, clean up a little bit of a picture, but these would be some of the welfare projects that people with government assistance living in. And in these places, it was 89% single, single mother homes, boyfriends coming and going, revolving doors, lots of challenges. If you go to the next screen, there's me and some kids outside one of the local schools, bars and grading and there's all kinds of stuff um, outside the schools there. Very different from the school that I attended and the feeling there in these welfare projects. This boy here, his name was Damon. So Damon was playing with some of his friends outside one of those buildings once and his neighbor came walking out and there were some men waiting for him and shot him many times and killed him and, and he was just a, a, several, a few yards from Damon. And I was visiting with Damon the next day, myself and another worker in his little apartment and sat down on his seedy old couch and, and the cushions moved and um, he was sitting in front of me and his eyes got kind of big for a moment and, and he looked at my leg and I looked down and he swatted a, a big roach crawling up my, my leg um, off, my, off my knee. And uh, he was taught, we were talking about what he had seen and, and he was talking about his neighbor's body twitching and jerking as it got hit with the bullets. And he was mainly traumatized, but he was a little, he was a little thrilled and excited because all the boys of his age, fourth grade, were, were, shootings were a very common thing. But it was something else for the boys in the neighborhood to actually see up close and personal a violent death. And so now he had his story to go back to his group of boys that, well, he had witnessed. And so all my perceptions changed and I was very glad that many of the churches and, and our government has programs to help kids such as that to try to equalize because they're, the community that they grew up had so many more disadvantages than the community that I grew up in. The thing about that community, I met some incredible bright lights. I met a man who lived in that project that you saw the picture, the previous picture, and, and he wore a cross and he wore Jesus stuff and just everywhere he went, he was like a, a piece of light, um, just talking about Jesus. And even though he had so little, so little in his apartment, so little material possessions, but he had joy. He had unbelievable joy. I met a number, another woman and outside her second story window, she could look down on a street light that was a, a normal gathering place for, for drug exchanges and, and gang meetings. But, and again, she, she just, she taught the Bible, talked to, about Jesus, do whoever she could. And her, her faith in the gospel of Jesus was just unstoppable in a super dark place. The gospel anytime, anywhere. In Romans 16, 116, it says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. And whether it's Athens, Greece, whether it's Columbia, whether it's inner city Philadelphia, whether it's Milford, whether it's North Webster, New Paris, Syracuse, that we are the people that never to be ashamed 
that our message, our faith, our Savior, anyone, anytime, anywhere, any circumstances, hope, power, joy, freedom, all races, all creeds, all ages, everything. Not ashamed of the gospel. In all the situations facing our country, the 4th of July, the racism, the social injustice, the coming election, the, the midst of the COVID, it is the gospel. New laws are always needed. New guidelines are always needed. But it is only the gospel of Jesus Christ that eradicates the deepest sins that plague us and sets us free. So what is the gospel? Let's talk, uh, if you want to bring it up on the slide, what is the gospel? The gospel in, in, in some simple points. What is our message that we hold to? All people have sinned. The penalty for our sin is death and eternal separation from God. Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty for our sins. Jesus took your place on the cross. He was your substitute. There's an invitation to respond personally to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. Repentance meaning to turn away from your sins, to ask forgiveness, to make an apology to Jesus. And there's a, lastly, there's a promise of forgiveness and eternal life. That right there is our message. That's right there. This is what we present. This is our hope. This is the message we present to the world for all sins, both outward and inward. This is the message of eternal life we say to the world and every other Bible-believing church in our community. This is our message. No one else has this message. This is our message. This is why we exist. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel but it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it takes on the issue of sin, S-I-N. And it is a message for us as followers of Christ. We can never avoid or shy away from that we're going to offend or disturb people because sin is the reality of the world. And we can't have hope. We can't have life. We can't have joy and victory without first walking through S-I-N, sin. Wayne Grudem, um, a professor, a famous theologian, has written a great book on theology, ideas about God, and he defines sin in this way. Sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. Again, sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. What's the first thing you think of when you hear the word sin. Is it something outward? Lying, stealing, murder? Or is it somewhat, something inward? Because sin is also something inward. It's greed, it's pride, it's lust, it's selfishness, it's idolatry in the heart. It's I care too much what people think about me, so I have to act in a certain way, even if it's untrue to what I really think or, or who I am. Sin is all that. It's outward, it's inward, it's all through us. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. Does all mean all? Does all mean every person of all time? Yes. 
for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. So when you think about sin and like, oh, am, am I a sinner? Am I a bad person? I often think of like other people. You know, if someone says like, how good are you at this? I think about, I'll think about like, oh, am I a, a good hunter compared to this person? Well, I may have missed that shot, but I'm at least I'm better than this guy who's missed other, other uh, he's missed more than I have. We so often want to compare ourselves to other people because what does it do for us when we compare ourselves to other people? Makes us feel a little bit better about ourselves that, well, maybe I don't have to have such urgency in my own life because I'm still a little, I'm better than that person. But the comparison is to what? Fall short of the glory of God. God is the comparison. It's how do you and I stack up compared to God? Short story. So it's about a month before our wedding, my, my marriage to Chris. I get, and I'm, I'm standing in my, my house and uh, my, the ha- little house I'm renting and my mother calls. She says, hey, I was wondering if I could make a special trip out and give your house a good clean before your new bride shows up. I took a quick look around my house and said, thought to myself, that looks fine. Sure, sure, mom, you can come. So I'll never forget, we were joking about it this week. I walk into the bathroom and my mother is on her knees in my bathroom and she is scrubbing my bathtub. And the area that she has scrubbed is like this bright white. Like, wow, I had no idea that that bathtub could look so white. In the area that she had yet to scrub was a pretty solid light brown. And I thought, you know, I guess it could use a good cleaning around here. And she said, come with me. And we went to the kitchen. She showed me the stovetop. It's like, yeah, I guess, uh, well, yeah, I guess that stovetop needed a little touch up. And then she opened the oven door. I was like, mom, it's usually kind of dark in there. Really, that's, that's unfair. Now, for some of you, I mean, anyone here, like, you didn't know ovens were clean? Because the next word I said to her, like, you know, I really didn't know that oven needed cleaning. I thought you turned on the heat and it kind of killed stuff in there. Anyone here just uh, like me at that moment, like, you didn't know oven needed cleaning? No, you're not going to admit it? Maybe you went online? So hopefully, maybe some of you had a light bulb moment there, like, yeah, I maybe should take a look at the oven in there. For all of sin falls short of the glory of God. And me looking at that tub where it's bright white on one side and light brown on the other, that's like the glory of God. When we compare ourselves to other, our others, everything looks light brown. But when we compare ourselves to God, that's our standard. To, to reach eternal life, to reach into heaven, God is our standard. We can't, don't deceive ourselves with comparing ourselves to other people the standard, why Jesus died on the cross is because God is the comparison and we all fall short of the glory of God. Oswald Chambers may be a familiar name to, to some of you. He wrote a famous classic Christian devotion. It's a, a daily reading for, for every day. He says this about sin. He says, you may talk about the lofty virtues of human nature, but there's something in human nature that will mockingly laugh in the face of every principle 
you have. If you refuse to agree with the fact that there's wickedness and selfishness, something downright hateful and wrong in human beings when it attacks your life instead of reconciling yourself to it, you will compromise with it and say that it is of no use to battle against it. So step one, if you're going to move toward the gospel, move toward Jesus, be free. Step one is recognizing that every one of us has a sinful nature. Not only do we do sinful acts, the lying, the cheating, stealing, etc., we have something embedded in our DNA that is sinful. What he's saying about the talk about there's something in human nature that will mockingly laugh in the face of every principle you have, meaning that the moment you say, I need Jesus, I want to be free in Jesus, I'm going to move, I'm going to live, I'm going to live for Jesus. The moment you do that, there's most often going to be a little voice inside you saying, yeah, right, you can't do that. Forget about it. Don't set yourself up for disappointment. You're a hypocrite. You know you're too sinful. That's your sinful human nature. And the moment you start to move toward Jesus, it's going to try to talk you down and talk you out of it, make fun of you and just laugh and grin and snicker at you and what a fool you are and how you may as well not even try to move toward Jesus. That's your sinful nature. It's saying if you refuse to agree with the fact there's wickedness and selfishness, something downright hateful and wrong in human beings. Step one, you have to know that we live in a world of good and evil, of right and wrong, of following God or rejecting God, of darkness and light, and that it is that clear. There are two options. There's sin and evil, and there's righteousness and truth. And we're always moving toward one or the other. And step one in being free and embracing the freedom that Jesus offers is you have to know that that's the the real world that we live in. And if you don't, you're just going to be like, well, uh, no one's perfect. That's just the way life is. I guess shrug your shoulders, shrug, shrug your spirit. Just now that I'm just going to muddle through life and accept defeat all my life. I accept that I'm powerless in the face of my sins. The good news of the gospel, step one, is that the world, the, the real world is good and evil, right and wrong, sin and righteousness. And through Christ, righteousness is going to win and you can have hope and freedom right now. I think to sum up, What sin says, what sin will always say to you is that my life is my own and I don't want anyone telling me what I can or can't do. And the opposite, the pull of Jesus is always going to be Jesus, my life belongs to you and I will do whatever you tell me to do. At the top, the sinful nature is always going to say, you. You, 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 my, 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 my rights, my life, my money, my things. My life is my own. And I don't want anyone. I don't want my friends, my neighbors, my parents, my teachers, my coaches, my directors, my bosses, my officials, whatever. I really don't want anyone 
ever telling me what I can or can't do. That is the sinful nature in its purest, in its true essence. And where the joy, where the hope, where the real freedom is, where the life is, is when we, we push toward Jesus. My life belongs to you. You created me. Your blood paid for me. And I will do whatever you tell me to do. And the paradox is that freedom and joy is down here. And that bondage and guilt and despair is in saying, my life is my own. I don't want anyone telling me what I can or can't do. And so in following Jesus, it's always about pushing and pressing toward Jesus. My life is yours. That's where our joy is. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. For Christ also suffered once for sins, meaning all our lying, cheating, complaining, rebellion, he died for that. All our, our attitudes, our selfishness, our pride, our anger, all that. He died for all of it. He paid the price for us so we would not have to. The gospel changes lives. Again, with Oswald Chambers, he says, we have to recognize that sin is a fact of life, not just a shortcoming. Sin is blatant mutiny against God. And either sin or God must die in my life. If sin rules in me, God's life in me will be killed. If God rules in me, sin in me will be killed. The culmination of sin was the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. We must mentally bring ourselves to terms with this fact of sin. It is the only explanation why Jesus Christ came to earth and is the explanation of the grief and sorrow of life. Sin has wrecked our world. Nothing is the way it is should be. No matter how your best day if you could see all the images around the world, you would know that, oh, we are so far, 24-7. You know, the picture of Derek Chauvin caught, the, the, the picture that you saw that up close that probably most or all of you saw, it was just too heinous, too evil. But if you could see pictures of all the sin of the world, we would be just utter despair. Nothing is the way it's supposed to be. And Jesus has come to save it. And eventually he will save it completely. But for now, the bad news is that you have an imperfect, broken, deficient soul. We all have a scarred, imperfect, flawed soul. Our souls chase after dreams that we should not chase after, that will leave us in greater despair than we, when we began to chase them. Our souls are prone to selfishness, pride, lust, greed, complaining, etc. Your soul today may feel torn, ripped, broken, empty, beyond healing. But the good news is that Jesus Christ came for your soul. Jesus Christ died for your soul. Jesus Christ has the victory and Jesus Christ can heal, restore, 
renew, rebirth your soul. The bad news is that you and I are imperfect in our emotions. We hang our emotions in places where we shouldn't. We fail to have the right emotions when we see hurting, lost, despairing, broken people. Instead, we might join in with with laughter and emotions where we shouldn't be laughing. Our emotions can can set up idols in our hearts that should not be idols, idols in opposition to Christ where our emotions should run to. We can become powerless. Our emotions such as anger, impatience, fear, anxiety, depression can get a grip and become enthroned, ruling, seeming to rule over our hearts and minds. But the good news is Jesus died for your emotions. He died for your wayward emotions. He died for those emotions that seem to have total control of your life. And he rose again to show that, no, your emotions, he is greater than your emotions. He's greater than your depression. He's greater than your anxiety. He's greater than suicidal thoughts. He's greater than your anger, your impatient emotions. And through the gospel, the gospel is the good news. The good news is that you can have victory You can have freedom. You can have relief in your emotions. He died and paid the price for your emotions. The bad news is you are imperfect in your mind. Your mind, this is not talking about your your level of IQ. That has nothing to do with it. It has nothing to do with your ability to learn things or to get an A or to get a B or to get a D or whatever, what have you. Your mind is fallen. It is not perfect. You think wrong things all the time. You may hear from one person one thing and think, oh, and then you may hear from another person and say, oh, that person was wrong. You may listen to one TV show and say, oh, I know it. And another TV show, oh, I thought that TV show was wrong, but this one's right. You can be a lifelong learner, which I hope you are, but you're you're never going to know it all. Our minds are not perfect. We think wrong thoughts all the time. But the good news is Jesus died for your mind. In your mind, you may think it's too much. I can't handle another day at this job. I can't handle walking to that building again. I can't handle that situation again. It's too much stress. My mind's going to break. Perhaps you've had a nervous breakdown before. Or I I feel like I am losing my sanity. But the good news is Jesus is greater than your mind. And Jesus, through the good news, he he died for your mind and can restore, he can stabilize your mind. That is the good news of the gospel. The bad news is you are imperfect in your body and that every single one of us in this room is terminal. None of us will live forever. Doesn't matter your diet, what you're eating, doesn't matter your workout, playing church softball and my wife, recently reminded that I am getting older, that my body is not what it used to be. It was a joke. But I've had three, three nights of church softball and I pulled a different muscle every one of those times. Yes, it is such as life. Every one of us is imperfect in our bodies. We are prone to disease, 
You were prone to disease long before the COVID. And regardless of a vaccine for the COVID, there could be something new coming out anytime. That's going to be the new pandemic. It could happen. Your body will always be prone to disease and germs. Your body will always be prone to aging, to breaking. But the good news is, Jesus died for your body. Jesus died for your physical body. And if you follow Christ, one day he's going to totally restore your body and give you a perfect body. That guy, Wayne Grudem, listen to him speech. He, he, in his opinion, we don't know for sure what that immortal body is going to be like. He said 25. We're all going to be like 25 years. Anyone here 25? Anyone? 24, 26? 24? <laughs> that was good, Lynn. That was good. But that's, that's you're going to be at whatever the, the apex, the height of your physical prowess, God's going to do it. You're going to be, you're going to be the, the best athlete you have ever been. God's going to save, he died to save your body and one day he will save your body completely. That is the good news of the gospel. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. What's that word right there? What's it? Say it out loud. Shouldn't it be the love of God? Shouldn't it be the grace of God? I mean, and it is those things. But the word power is 120 times in the New Testament. Power. It is the power of God. Dunamis is the Greek word for the power that, that might ring a bell. Dynamic. And what's uh, the TNT word? Dynamite comes from that. So when you think about for the power of God, it's the dynamite of God to blow things up, to destroy one thing, to make room for something new. The gospel, the message about Jesus, that all of us are sinners, Christ paid the penalty, that you can personally respond in repentance and faith, that's dynamite. That is to destroy certain things in our lives so new things can grow. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says this, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in what? What's the word again? Say it out loud. Our faith is not just a bunch of words. It's not just a bunch of teachings, memorizations, just stuff you got to mentally know. It's actually power. And this is how we know the gospel takes root in its, its truest form. It changes something. I knew a man who showed up for every week for church for a long time, sat in the back row, and he never smiled. The song, the sermon, just sat there, never smiled. When the gospel took hold, when he put his faith in Christ, the only thing I saw differently is he smiled. He smiled all the time because Christ had done something. I remember a man named Troy, and when I, right before I, he, I did his funeral, I mean, he was a, the nicest, gentlest man, one of the nicest, gentlest men I ever knew. At his funeral, his, his girls talked about his anger before he knew Jesus and about they were playing in the barn and, and Troy was walking out to the barn to get, the, to get to the sheep and they hid behind the hay bales. They saw their dad walk up and one of the sheep didn't get out of the barn fast enough and he pitchforked it, killed it on the spot. But they said, when dad found Jesus, his anger 
was gone. Sometimes that's what Jesus does. Sometimes it's a process, sometimes it's instantaneous. Wherever you find the gospel, it's power. It's more than just words we say. It's more than just a prayer. It's the invading of Christ into your heart, your soul, your mind, and changing us. That is what it is. It's not just teaching. It's not just words, but it is power. It's not consistent talk, but in power. When we think of power, we think of strength, of might, of force. Something that, it's not just a theory. If you're sitting here today, if you're watching at home, and the sinful nature, what it's going to do to you right now, it's going to say something like, you can never change. You can never forgive. You can never be free. That's what the sin, sinful nature will tell you right now. Other people can change, but you can't. It's too much. You've been through too much. But, but you can't change. But you can't forgive. And if you are believing that, and if, you're, if that's what you're thinking, you are believing a lie. You're believing a untruth, and you are enslaved to that, I can't ever forgive. I can't ever change. And as long as you just keep agreeing with that, you will be enslaved to a lie. But the good news, if Jesus comes against us and says, no, there's a greater truth. You can forgive. You can change. You can grow. You can be free. You can have a fresh start. You can be, be changed. The grip of depression, the grip of unforgiveness, the grip of your shame can be broken. And the choice is up to you to believe that and to move toward Jesus and experience the power of God setting you free. But you have to move toward him and you can. God is able to save anyone at any time. The gospel is greater than anything we think or know and it changes us or you or anybody, anytime, anywhere. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes for salvation. Salvation meaning a rescue, a deliverance, a saving of your life. Jesus is not for the person who thinks, I'm a pretty good person. I mean, sure, there's areas of my life I could work on. Everyone's got those areas. Jesus is not for the person who says, eh, I, 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 I mean, I, I could change a few things, but I like, pretty much like my life the way it is. Jesus is for the person who says, I've tried a lot of things and nothing can touch the ache, the hole in my heart. I'm longing for more. Jesus is for the person who says, I, I just want to change. I want a new life. I want a new start. I want to be free. I want a fresh start. That's what the gospel is always about. Cross the line to Jesus for the first time. Cross it again, again and again. Move toward Jesus. 
God is able to save anyone, anytime, any place. He is the only one who could save us. Wrapping up today, just want to talk about being renewed in the gospel. Just uh, for the first time coming to Jesus today, watching at home, being here, or just re-renewing. This is my story. This is my allegiance. This is, I'm, I, I want to be a Jesus man, a Jesus woman, a Jesus boy, a Jesus girl. I want to come to you with all my heart. Let's put that slide up again with all the bullet points about the gospel. And again, here it is. More than words. They are words, but there's power here. When we believe it, when we move toward it. All people have sinned. Penalty for our sin is death. Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty for your sins, my sins. Jesus took our place on the cross. He personally died for you. And always today, this moment, you have an invitation to respond personally to Christ in repentance and faith. So today, if you're not a follower of Christ, today is an opportunity to to come to him in forgiveness and to cross the line from hell to heaven. And if you're already a Christian and you're saying, hey, there's things I want a fresh start. I need a fresh start in my life. Today's the day to, to start fresh with Christ. There's a promise of forgiveness and eternal life always. In a moment, uh, the worship team's gonna come and the Barnabas team will be up here to pray with people. And let's put up that one screen again about uh, my life is my own. And again, just maybe a good prayer point if you wanna come forward this morning and like, I wanna move toward Christ and what actually do I pray? And maybe, uh, maybe this resonates with you, maybe it doesn't, but just uh, the, the essence of the sinful nature is my life is my own. And I don't want anyone telling me what I can or can't do. And maybe that's manifested in your life in innumerable ways um, right now. And you want to just move toward Jesus and just uh, your prayer this morning. Um, if you come forward, it might be just, Jesus, my life belongs to you. And someone on the Barnabas team will pray this prayer uh, with you. Just, Jesus, my life belongs to you and I will do whatever you tell me to do. You want to push toward that this morning. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward right now. And Barnabas team, Hannah, if you want to just be on this side. Let's all stand right now. Um, I'll be down on, on this side. And just I want you, if you know someone in the church, uh, there'll be someone, Andrew, thank you. Uh, John, if you want to go over on this side, so balance it out. Lori, thanks. So just want to come forward. Prayer is a normal thing here at YWC Bible. And just want to encourage you just uh, to move toward Jesus today. Um, just to embrace the gospel in a new way. So let's bow our heads for prayer. So if you want to, to come to Jesus, and you can come forward for prayer for this too, but just the prayer, just Jesus, forgive me my sins. Come into my heart. That is the first step. But for each of us, just uh, we want to move toward you. So Lord, we just uh, we come to you now. Uh, we love you. And we just declare that you can change anyone. You can set anyone free, anytime, anywhere. So Lord, work and move in our hearts now as we, 
as we sing and as we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.